Listener Production. Hello, Tom Tilly and Katrina Blowers with you for the briefing. And just before we started recording this episode, there was breaking news out of the UK where they have a new Prime Minister. Yeah, that's right. So Boris Johnson bowed out of the race yesterday. Not long ago, the other rival, Penny Mordaunt, pulled out. So that leaves Rishi Sunak unopposed as the UK's new PM. It is the greatest privilege of my life to be able to serve the party I love and give back to the country I owe so much to. So he's the third person to have that privilege in three months. It's been a wild ride in the UK. Other interesting facts about him, he's only 42, so that makes him the youngest person to take the office in more than 200 years. Um, Tony Blair and David Cameron were 43, so pretty close. Um, He's also the first British PM to come from an Indian background. Yeah, and given we're in the middle of Diwali right now, which is the most important festival on the Indian calendar, you can imagine the celebrations Mm. that went down with that news. Also, another fact, he's married to one of the UK's wealthiest women. Her dad is the founder of an Indian tech company. So later this week, he's going to be officially appointed by King Charles. Yeah, so we're going to find out all about Rishi Sunak in today's briefing. First, here are the other big headlines of the day. It's Tuesday, the 25th of October. If you are a political or an economic nerd, today is the equivalent of your Christmas. It is Budget Day. (laughs) Yeah, so the Albanese government is going to step up and deliver their budget tonight. Jim Chalmers will be doing that, the Treasurer. Uh, It's a family-friendly budget they're promising to ease the cost of living. A budget that uh, deals with cost of living uh, pressures whilst not putting pressure on inflation, so targeted family-friendly budget. So that will include an extra $33 billion towards the pension and other welfare payments and six months paid parental leave for any family earning up to 350 grand. Yeah, and we're getting some other announcements that are being leaked to the newspapers ahead of tonight's big budget announcement. So one of those really interesting plans is to build 1 million affordable houses. They plan to bring together government, private sector investment and the superannuation sector. And I think one of the biggest headlines will be the deficit. So it's going to be half what was expected, which is really good news. So instead of going $78 billion into the red, it's only going to be $36 billion. That's partly because of rising commodity prices, um, but also because they're going to cancel $21 billion worth of coalition infrastructure promises. So I think for a a Labor government who's always up against that perception that the coalition are you know, better at managing the budget, that they're, mm. they're tighter on spending, more discipline. This will be politically quite a good budget for Labor, especially in challenging times. Yeah, I think it might be in terms of the family-friendly stuff and definitely with things like the pension. But in terms of things like health, given that 50-50 funding has been taken off the table by the PM, I'm not sure how that's going to play out in the longer term because the health system is really, really struggling still after COVID. And floodwaters are finally beginning to recede in some parts of the eastern states. So the flood at Atukamoama on the New South Wales-Victorian border appears to be uh, peaking. Uh, The town's two-kilometre levee bank, along with tens of thousands of sandbags, have saved a lot of properties. 
While Lismore in the New South Wales northern rivers regions has been spared the worst, thank goodness, only experiencing minor flooding. We do have some sad news. A 28-year-old woman's body has been found on the bank of a flooded river in the New South Wales central west, about 30 k's north of Mudgee. Uh, she'd been travelling in a car. It got swept into a swollen waterway. The three other people that were inside that car with her, they managed to swim to safety, but sadly, she didn't make it. Yeah, that's a sad one. That's right near my hometown. So I've been seeing pictures out of Mudgee of the town flooded. Um, the new football ground for the Mudgee Wombats is underwater near the river. Just crazy scenes. And there's scenes like that all through New South Wales. Um, meanwhile, there's been some pretty rough weather hitting parts of southeast central Queensland, um, including a hailstorm. So still some pretty wild weather around. A 15-year-old Indigenous Perth boy is dead after he and three of his friends were allegedly attacked after school by a group of white men armed with machetes and a pole. So Cassius Turvey died in hospital 10 days after the alleged attack, which Perth's Indigenous community are calling a hate crime. Cassius was walking to the shops after school with his 14-year-old best friend and his two 13-year-old cousins. When a car full of men allegedly began shouting racial abuse, they told the boys to run and began beating them. One of the young boys was on crutches. So a 21-year-old man has briefly faced court accused of murder and at least one other man allegedly involved in the incident remains at large and the matter will return to court next month. All right, in just a sec, we're going to go back to probably the biggest story of the day outside the federal budget. Who is Britain's newest Prime Minister? We're going to find out all about Rishi Sunak in just a sec. All right, let's get to know the new British Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, and all about the uh, crazy drama that got the UK to this moment. Rob Harris is the age reporter in London. Rob, thanks so much for joining us. So why have Conservative MPs swung behind this man? Well, in the end, he was sort of the last man standing. Um, you'll remember, oh God, it only seems like uh, yesterday, but it was about seven weeks ago. He was, in fact, the, uh, the most popular candidate with uh, members of the Conservative Party room when it came to that contest between him and Liz Truss, but Liz Truss was far more popular with the electorate. But uh, second time around, he was the last man standing. Penny Mordaunt, who was the uh, only candidate who was going to take him on in the end, uh, pulled out around about half an hour before the deadline and um, he will become the next Prime Minister. All right. So how is the British public responding to this news so far? Well, look, <laughs> there's, there's two parts of that. It, it's quite a historic day because of where Rishi Sunak obviously comes from. He's the first sort of non-white prime minister, the first of uh, Indian descent. But I think having gone through all these charades and shenanigans for the past, well, really since 2016 now, where there's been sort of the uh, a swapping of leaders uh at, at an Australian rate, really, um, I think he's 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 now the fifth uh, conservative leader since 2016. Um, people ha are growing really tired of it. it. It wasn't that long ago since Boris Johnson won a sort of a, a really big electoral victory, 80 seat majority, uh, and since then um, he's gone. Liz Truss came and went, and now they're left with Rishi Sunak. So there is that question as to whether how much of a mandate he actually has. Um, but, look, there'll be a part of the nation, uh, Britain tonight, 
relieved and and hoping that he can sort of quiet things down for a while. Yeah, so we'll find out more about him and his life story in a moment. But let's just talk about Boris Johnson for a second because the idea of him returning to the leadership was very entertaining, at least from a distance here in Australia. Um, He rushed back from holidays um, in the Caribbean only to pull out yesterday. And then in his statement, he says, well, I could have won. I had the required 102 MPs or more to support me to run. And when it came to the party members, they probably would have backed me in, but it wasn't the right thing to do because, quote, you can't govern without a united party. So can you read between the lines for us, those of us playing at home here in Australia, what does he mean and what was he attempting to do when he came back from the Caribbean? Well, I think genuinely he, I mean, if we remember just, I think three months ago now, he, he didn't want to go. He thought uh, his colleagues had, had reacted or overreacted to circumstances uh, and he didn't want to go in the first place. And I think genuinely he thought he could come back. I think had it gone to a vote of party members, he probably may well have beaten Rishi Sunak. Um, but there were just too many people uh, in the party that, didn't want him back, would have resigned uh, or forced by-elections had he come back. And I think um, it took a lot of wise sort of counsel and um, a lot of people to persuade him it probably wasn't in the best interest uh, and therefore he withdrew. But, look, I certainly think he was genuine. He certainly, uh, and we've seen it in Australia over the years, there are a lot of people who believe these sort of jobs are their destiny and that nothing can stop them. And I think, um, you know, people like uh, Boris Johnson, who idolised Winston Churchill, always thought that, you know, people had got him wrong and he was greatness and he was coming back. But um, I think saner minds prevailed at the last minute and uh, he was forced to, to stand down. All right, let's get into who Rishi Sunak is. He's pretty fascinating from the outside looking in. I mean, there's his age for a start. He's only 42. He's married to uh, a woman who is very, very wealthy. Her dad's an Indian tech billionaire. Uh, he, he didn't grow up too shabbily either. And now there's clips resurfacing of him as a 21-year-old uh, it, it, with a very plummy voice saying that some of my friends are working class. <laughs> so some of that's coming back to haunt him too. Um, given cost of living pressures in the UK as well as in Australia, inflation, the budget, uh, all of the things going on and uh, Rishi Sunak, you know, being mocked for things like his um, nearly $400 smart coffee cup. How will he be embraced and can he be taken seriously as being able to fix the, the economic mess that the UK is in? It's a good question and we've seen, I guess, over the years, certainly when Malcolm Turnbull was in power in Australia that, uh, you know, Labor really did, the Labor opposition really went after his wealth to um, varying degrees of success, I think. Well, look, Rishi Sunak is obviously a, a pretty good migrant story in, in the fact that, you know, both his grandparents uh, are Indian descent, they'd moved to Africa and his parents were born in Africa and came here. Um, but, you know, probably in Britain, I would say class um, probably is a little bit more important than race when it comes to politics. And certainly Rishi Sunak uh, on paper, you know, he went to a very um, prestigious public school. He went on to Oxford. He then was a Fulbright scholar at Stanford, um, worked for Goldman Sachs. You know, these are all the 
the CVs of successful sort of Tory MPs in Britain and um, and that's part of the reason sort of he's risen through the ranks so quickly. Um, but, you know, the, the big challenge he obviously has is, is, is the fact that, you know, inflation is skyrocketing here, 10%, 40-year high, food and grocery bills are going through the roof um, and a lot of people are, are really pissed off with what's gone on in Westminster over the past year because it seems like, you know, a lot of these politicians have been fighting their own little private battles and personal egos um, rather than looking after the um, the voters. And uh, I think that, that that's why the Conservatives are so on the nose right now. Their polling is just atrocious. And um, he's got a really big task to, number one, try and fix the economy, try and get sort of inflation under control, but also sort of convince British voters that, that, that he is the man to sort of take them forward. Yeah, well, on one level, he sounds a little bit out of touch, given he's so wealthy and, you know, ended up having such a privileged upbringing. But on the other hand, his experience as a banker, his experience dealing with money, but also his experience in Parliament, um, spending two years essentially as the Treasurer under Boris Johnson, could actually make him the right person for the moment, couldn't it, given it's all about the economic challenges right now? Yeah, and, and where he's really his stocks have really soared in, in recent weeks was people are, are remembering that sort of six weeks where uh, him and Liz Truss went hammer and tongs across the country in economic debates and Liz Truss said what she was going to do, which was sort of slash taxes um, and promote growth. And Rishi Sunak said to her, um, you can't be doing that this quickly. If you do this, the markets will react in a very negative way. Inflation will soar. Home you know, home mortgages will soar. And it's exactly what happened. Uh, Liz Truss built that as Project Fear. Um, but Rishi Sunak, in the end, was sort of proved right. Look, that's not to say he's not in favour of um, sort of what is conservative economics, lower taxes, etc. He's basically, his argument was, look, don't do it all at once. Don't do it too fast. Don't spook the markets. And, and certainly sort of get debt and deficit under control. He's very sort of traditional like that. And, and, and we're likely to see you know, a, a period of austerity here, um, which Britain probably hasn't seen since sort of 2010 when David Cameron came in and uh, and inherited sort of a, a budget that was completely out of whack, deficit on the rise, debt out of control, um, and, and we're going to see that again. And what about uh, Rishi Sunak's time in office so far? Let's, I guess, go into some of the low lights before we get to the highlights. What role did he have in the lockdown parties with Boris and how close was he to that Boris car crash? Look, certainly, um, you know, he, he was one of those people fined. He, he has, I guess, seemed to escape that um, for some reason, um, probably because um, in the end he was able to distance himself a bit and it was one of the first to really uh, resign um, when things got really bad for Boris and he basically uh, said the man had no integrity, the government had no integrity, it couldn't be trusted anymore and sort of, I think, was was clever in the, in the terms of really picked up what people were saying and what voters were thinking about Boris Johnson and, 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 and really sort of echoed that. That really cost him internally. Um, with a lot in the party thought he was the man that brought Boris down. But I, I think sort of uh, with voters, that he really sort of echoed what they were thinking. Um, it's going to be a challenge for him. Um, there's no doubt that, uh, you know, that the party is quite divided. So there's probably going to be a bit of a muck slung at him during uh, the next two years. But 
if he can overcome that, then then who knows? But um, he certainly, I mean, he might wake up tomorrow and think, "What have I done? What have I inherited? Who, <laughs> who in their, who in their craziest mind would want to do this job, considering what happened to Liz Truss and and, and how it ended to Boris Johnson and how it ended for Theresa May and you know David Cameron, of course, resigned when he lost that Brexit referendum. So um, it's not really a, an enticing job right now, but. Um, you know what politicians are like. They've all got their egos and they all think they're the people to fix it. Where did he stand on Brexit? Uh, he's a staunch Brexiteer. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, he, he basically made that decision, not ideologically. Um, he, he believed that in the long run, certainly not in the short term, but in the long run, it would be in Britain's best economic and sort of uh, sovereign interests that they would um, move away from from. Europe and, and forge their own way with trade deals, etc. Now, um, certainly that hasn't happened great in the meantime. The British economy's uh, not great and um, they've struggled to, to etch really important trade deals. And, of course, we saw over summer a lot of fallout from Britain's holidaying in Europe where they had to sort of queue in, the, in, the, in a different line than they were used to with passports and that sort of flights cancelled and long delays because of Brexit. Um, but he did he did think, and he, he was quite, you know, unlike Liz Trust, who sort of waxed and waned. He was he was quite early for Brexit and still believes in it, um, which is probably why a lot of his colleagues uh, sort of stuck by him on this. Um, and he believes that it, it will sort of play out uh, in the long term in in Britain's interest. But you know, at, at the moment, the, I think the jury is well and truly out on that. So, Rob, where do you see all this going? I mean, it's been almost Shakespearean in the level of drama, definitely a tragedy, but at times a comedy. Um, <laughs> could Boris Johnson, for example, do a bit of a Kevin Rudd? Because I felt, you know, between the lines of that statement was sort of a message that I could be back before the next election in 2024. So could could there be a, a Kevin Rudd Shakespearean narrative and given how tough the next few years are going to be economically and also given how bad the Tories are doing in the polls because of all this drama, could this be an absolute debacle for Rishi Sunak and the Conservatives the next few years? Well, I mean, I never thought what happened to Liz Truss would happen so quickly and so just humiliatingly, I guess. Um, You know, it, it really did. I mean, it was 44 days Let's not forget, I think 12 of them were sort of spent mourning the Queen where, where government basically ground to a halt. So she managed to implode probably a lot, lot quicker than we even get to give her credit for. Um, look, it would be very hard to see things go as badly as they did for her. But you know, with Boris Johnson and with a lot of these people and a lot of the sort of venom in, in really what's going on right now in Westminster, you'd never say never. I mean, I covered Australian politics in Canberra for 10 years and um, you couldn't script what you saw half the time. So, uh, you know, you hope not for a country's sake, especially when, when it, it's battling so many economic problems. But um, who knows? <laughs> I just don't know anymore. That, that's the thing. I think we've entered this, <laughs> you know, with Trump and, and we, we've entered this period in politics where anything is possible and, and the, the old orthodoxy is, you know, really doesn't, really doesn't stack up anymore. Well, Rob Harris, thank you so much for joining us and filling us in on the very latest in this ongoing soap opera. Uh, You're with The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald out of London. The popcorn is still out and we'll keep on watching for now. Thanks so much, guys.
Listener.